this week, we're going to kind of start a journey, if you will, through the book of Galatians. And you may be saying, well, preacher, why are we going through the book of Galatians? And I'll be honest with you, one of the reasons is, well, maybe it's better if I just ask this question. Anybody ever looked at the church and said, how did we get so far off track? What are we doing? What's going on? You, you, you find yourself believing, wanting to believe, that we are truly pursuing God, but frustrated with the ways that we're doing it. Anybody ever found themselves in that place? Well, that's what Paul is addressing in this letter. And today we're going to kind of look at the introduction in this letter where Paul enters in, and if you look in Galatians chapter 1 in the first about five verses, you see kind of that typical introduction where it says, I, Paul, an apostle, sent not from men nor by man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers with me. Then he goes on and says, Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Paul starts his letter with kind of a traditional introduction, if you will. He says, hey, this is who I am, and, and I'm writing this because God laid it on my heart. It's kind of like if you picked up the phone today and you called somebody and you said, hey, I don't know why, but God just told me to reach out and check in. We do that sometimes. And so, and so Paul goes on and he says, hey, how's your mom and them? Grace and peace to you. Hope all is well. And remember, as he closes out his introduction, he says that we do all things according to the will of God, the Father, to whom be all glory forever and ever. Amen. And that, if we could just stop right there and, and, and that reminder that everything that happens, we should keep that in the forefront of our mind, that to God be the glory forever and ever. But, but Paul kind of does a bait and switch, if you will. It, it reminds me of when my wonderful wife will ask me to vacuum the house. And inevitably, I will vacuum the house. And then she'll come in and say, Oh, babe, the house looks great. You did a wonderful job. Only for about 30 minutes later for me to hear the vacuum kick on and for her to be re-vacuuming the very area that I vacuumed. It's the old bait and switch. You're doing great, but... You did it wrong. And if you keep reading in verse 6 through 10, Paul kind of starts pouring out this change of pace, his frustration, if you will, with the church. And he says, I'm astonished that you so quickly 
deserted the one who called you by grace of Christ. And you're turning to a different gospel. And I want to point out that if you're looking at the text, gospel is not a capital G gospel. It's a, it's a little G gospel. It's kind of the difference in a big G God and a little G God. What he's saying is you have started to believe things that are not true, but have proclaimed them as truth. You've started to buy in to a different way. And he goes on, he says, this really isn't a gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let him be eternally condemned. As we have already said, so now I say again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than that, which you accepted, let him be eternally condemned. Am I now trying to win the approval of men or of God? Or am I trying to please men? If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a servant of Christ. And so Paul looks at the church and says, Hey, I believe that you firmly grasp the idea that God is in control, but you've missed it. You've missed it. Because you've allowed the, the talking heads, if you will, you've allowed people, you've allowed the world to pull you away from the big G gospel, which if we all know, the gospel, the definition of gospel is the good news. And so he's saying, we've started, we know the good news of Jesus Christ, but we've allowed people, we've allowed the world to shift us, to pull us away from that path. And I love that as he kind of closes his heading, he says, am I trying to win the approval of men or of God? And I think we need to wrestle with that ourselves because sometimes what has happened, either knowingly or subconsciously, we've been led astray from gospel to little g gospel. We, we found ourselves in a, in a society of, of groupthink. And Paul points this out to them. He says, I believe that your passion and your desire is correct. But at some point, some way, you've been led astray. And he goes on and says that what you're doing, if you continue to do it, I will pray that it will bring a curse upon you, or in this text, condemn you. And you may be asking yourself, as I was, well, what are they doing wrong? What is, what is that thing? And, and as I, before I even answer that question, I just want you to pause for a minute and think about our church, not just Forest UMC, not just the UMC, although you can look at it from all the different levels, but the Christian church as a whole. And what is that thing? 
that as I just unpacked what Paul is proclaiming, that, hey, people have been led astray, they've started to believe a false gospel, what is it in our church? What is that thing that you go, oh, they're just wrong. That, that, that's not of Christ. For the Jewish people, and I want to remind you, Jesus, this may shock some of y'all, but Jesus Christ was not a Christian. He was Jewish. He was a Jewish man that grew up in Jewish faith and Jewish tradition. Now, he was the original Christian as he set the way for Christians moving forward. But when we hear this text that is being written to a Jewish people that have encountered Jesus Christ, and if you don't know this about the Jewish people, the Jewish people have a tendency to cling to tradition and understanding and ritual. And so, imagine if you will, the Jewish people sitting there and all of a sudden the Gentiles show up. Those people that didn't grow up in the church, that don't understand when to stand and when to sit, they don't understand when to sing, they don't understand why we say the Apostles' Creed or what it means, they may not even understand the Lord's Prayer, they don't dress the way that we tell them to. And the Jewish people begin to get a little agitated and frustrated. They start wrestling with this idea that salvation and the good news is for all people. And, and the reason is, is because they start to buy into, you've got to follow our way of doing it if you want to get to heaven. You got to follow our way to do it if you want to be a part of our church. And what has happened, and this is what Paul is kind of hoping to shed light on throughout this letter to them, is this that you, you people that proclaim to be following the way, are actually following your own way. The way in Jesus' day is a term used for those folks that were following Jesus Christ. And this is what has frustrated the Jewish people in the early church, is this. They say, hey, those folks, those folks, they're following the message and the mission, but they're not following the methods that we put into place. They're not following our way. And yes, I know that that may be I don't want to use this term, but it's the best term I can think of, borderline sacrilegious for a Methodist preacher to say that sometimes the methods have to be changed. And that's what Paul is pointing them to, because what happens with the Jewish people is dissension grows within the church. I'm glad that we don't understand dissension within the church. But dissension starts to grow within the church as they start to proclaim, hey, you must be circumcised in order to be a part of us. But it's even a greater thing than that because what the Jewish people are saying is this. You must follow Levitical law in order to be a Christian. 
And what I want them to, and what Paul is trying to get them to realize is this. Even as they proclaim Levitical law is the standard, they can't even live up to it. And so what happens is the Jewish people then go, all right, let's take a step back. Circumcision. Something that we know we've all done. So that we can say this is the defining factor of the church. And so it becomes this tribal identity that defines who's in, who's out. And they start to create these walls and these barriers of entry, if you will. You've got to do X, Y, and Z in order to be a part of us. And not only that, but heaven forbid, they begin to create barriers between them and the person sitting on the same pew and in the same church and in the same connection as them because they are going about this Christian faith thing in a different way than they have been brought up. And that's what's happening in the church. And Paul is, is looking at them and saying, you're missing the point. You have started to create your own way and your own little G gospel. And, and your good news is good news for people that look, act, and think like you. If you don't believe me, you can go back and look at the text. But here's my also warning, is that we have fallen into the same trap because we live in one of the most divided societies of all time. We can't agree on anything. And here's what I want you to realize, and just be honest for a minute, that when you turn on the news and there's a new law put into place or there's a new politician voted into office, for some of us, we go, oh, thank God, we are saved from X, Y, or Z. But the other side of the aisle goes, oh, my God, how, how did we get here? And what Paul is trying to shine a light on is this, is the only way that the big G gospel is good news is if it is good news for all people. And we somehow have bought into a little G gospel that says it's good as long as it's good news for me and for some people like me, it's good news. And Paul says, you're missing the point because Jesus came, lived, and died for all people. And so they find themselves, the Jewish people find themselves clinging to the ways of the law, even though they can't uphold it. And, and in so doing, they've, they've lost not only their way, but they've lost sight of the way, which is that of Jesus Christ, because I want to remind you that Jesus says, I didn't come to condemn the law, but I came to fulfill the law. So therefore, you want to you see what it means to be a Christian? Follow me. Follow the example that I set. And then, even then, when the Levitical people come up to him and say, what's the greatest commandment? Because you know we got all these rules and regulations. What does he say? 
Love God and love everybody else. Everything hinges on that. And so I asked you earlier, how do you define a Christian? What is that, that thing or, or what is that hinge on who's in, who's out? And here's the answer. It's a trick question because we don't get to define it. Jesus does. In the way in which he lived, loved, and ministered. And I'm reminded of Jesus when he does say, just love God and love everybody else, and it'll kind of take care of itself. Or if you need a more contemporary version, Thomas Merton is quoted as saying, our job is to love others without stopping to inquire whether or not they are worthy. Love other people without stopping to think, are they worthy of it? But we live in a world of facts and figures that says, let me stop and inquire if they're worthy of it. Let me, let me stop and ask, are they worthy of my time, my effort, my resources? And in so doing, what we have either subconsciously or sometimes consciously done is this. We have created our own kingdom. That we get to choose who's in and out. Who's worthy and not of love. And we can find ourselves so often, whether we realize it or not, blinded to these walls that we have put up. And the reason is, is because, as Franklin Leonard said, when you are accustomed to privilege, equality can feel like oppression. When you find yourself part of the in crowd, letting other people in, all of a sudden seems, wait a minute, we're having to lower our standards. And, and we see this over and over with Jesus Christ as he goes and interacts with people, and over and over he hears this question, how, how are you associating with them? What are you doing with people like that? And if we're not careful, we become the Egyptians watching those Hebrew slaves build our pyramids. We become the Babylonians seeking to conquer others. We become the Romans living on a hill, looking down into the streets going, hey, if you would just live right, you'd be like us. You'd have it all figured out. And we start to use the little g gospel to separate and filter humanity so that they can fit into our boxes. And Jesus says, oh, no, no, no. I came and lived and died for all people, that they may know my kingdom. Yet somehow along the way, the church, we have become gatekeepers of the kingdom as opposed to sharers of the big G gospel. We're so worried about who we let in and, who, and how we can define them as opposed to just spreading the good news that Jesus came and died that you may have life and have it abundantly if you choose to follow him. Not follow my example, but follow Christ. I've shared this before. I'll share it again. I'm on a journey as I follow Jesus Christ. I'm not there yet. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not Jesus 2.0 yet. 
Maybe one day when I get to heaven and I start to really understand and I become perfect and perfected in his love, maybe then. But we're all on the journey together. And how can we start to judge people when we're all on the same journey? I started thinking about this and I started thinking about growing up this game that we all played. Anybody ever played Follow the Leader? No? Okay, just me. All right, got it. Well, in Follow the Leader, there's one person that is the leader. And you know what the job of everybody else is? You guessed it. Follow them. Do what they do. Now, if you were like me, I had kids in my class growing up, and I oftentimes would be this person that I would get frustrated with following the same leader for a long period of time. And so eventually I'd just kind of start doing my own thing in hopes that people would follow me and we could create a whole different line. And I think so often this is what can happen in the church if we're not careful is we start off with our eyes on Jesus Christ, and then at some point we look up and go, ah, that's a little too much. So I'm just going to get off here, start my own way, start my own path. This is why, if you want my honest opinion, why we have so many denominations in the Christian church. As we look at it and we go, yeah, I don't agree with that, so I'm going to veer off here. Yeah, I don't agree with that, so I'm going to veer off here. I once read it said that denominations are humankind's fingerprints on the mirror that is the Christian church. Where we start looking at the mirror and we start seeing what Christ calls us to and we go, ah, let me look at it this way. Ah, let me look at it that way. Ah. And all of a sudden our fingerprints have mired the reflection of Jesus Christ to this world. And that's what Paul is pointing to as he's saying, don't lose sight. Just live into what Jesus calls you to, which is follow me. Yet somehow the church became a place where we build walls and barriers. When Jesus says, I came to tear those very walls and barriers down. You'll see it later in this book of Galatians where Jesus says, those worldly titles, those worldly things mean nothing to me. In Christ there is no longer Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female. And so what Paul is trying to do here in the introduction is open the eyes of the church to realize that maybe they've strayed. But I love that as he points this out to them, he then closes, beginning in kind of verse 15 roughly, and, and he's talking about himself, but I think he's also reminding the church of this. He says, when God who set you apart from birth and called you by his grace was pleased to reveal his son in you so that you might teach and preach amongst the Gentiles. I did not consult any man, nor did I go to Jerusalem to see those who were apostles before I was, but I went immediately into Arabia and later returned to Damascus. And what Paul is pointing them to is this. 
Sometimes we can become so inundated with information. Came across a fact the other day that if you own a thousand books, you can kind of you can define yourself as a library. My, me and my wife are a library over and over again. Read a lot of books. But what Paul says is this. Hey, when I entered into a relationship with Jesus Christ, I didn't go to this guy or that guy or this person or that person to ask them what that meant because I engaged in my own personal relationship with Jesus Christ to grow. And when I started to understand that, then I went out and I proclaimed what a relationship with Jesus Christ meant to me. And then we could have real conversations. But for so many of us, we find ourselves going, what does it mean to have a relationship with Jesus? Just tell me what I need to do. Tell me the next step I need to take. And we lose the sight of a relationship is just seeking Jesus every day. And Paul says, stop. Stop pursuing the understanding of man. Stop pursuing your own way and traditions. Remember. Remember the call. To follow and be the way. So my challenge for us as a church is to ask God to reveal to us those ways in which we have strayed. Sought our own understanding. Sought the ways of this world. To refix our eyes on Jesus. Amen.